do the trashy pulp novels of the world have anything to offer? Are bestsellers all they're hyped up to be? The Terrible Book Club explores whether or not you really can judge a book by its cover or its ridiculous synopsis. If you've ever seen a book and thought, ugh, who's reading this? We probably are. Hello and welcome to episode 92 of the Terrible Book Club. I'm Chris and this is Paris. Hello. This time we read Flashback by Dan Simmons at the request of our patron Jay. Jay said that it's my humble request that you guys suffer through Flashback by Dan Simmons. He was one of my favorites back in the day and wrote some really fantastic books. But going through his works, I start to pick up on some increasingly troubling xenophobic right wing sentiments in this dumpster fire of an alt-right circle jerk. All right. Well, that should tell you what you're in for right away, everyone. But <laughs> um, Paris, yeah. why don't you tell them what we do here? Yeah. Uh, just in case this is your first time tuning in, um, what we do here at the Terrible Book Club is we read books that we assume will be bad based on their cover, title, summary, or some combination of the three. Uh, and then sometimes, like today, we read a book that a patron has recommended. Um, in general, though, we do the opposite of what most people do in a bookstore or if they're browsing through Amazon or some other online book retailer. Um, and usually this experiment results in a disappointing read, but once in a while we end up liking the book. Um, for content warnings today, there are oh, a lot. It's a pile. Um, Get ready, everyone. Yeah, this is like a toxic waste dump of content warnings. So, all right, we've got our usual barnyard language. You know, we swear we speak casually. In addition to that, though, today we have uh, age and gender dynamics that might be troubling, drug use, racism, and specifically the racism today, uh, the race stuff is really bad. Just be warned, there is direct and frequent usage of the N-word and several other racial descriptors considered by most to be extremely offensive. We've got, oh, guess who's back? Hey, our, our welcome t- back to the party, <laughs> sexual assault. I wish you wouldn't show up every single yeah. fucking time. And uh, we've also got violence and weapons. Um, it's also impossible to discuss this book without also discussing politics so please be aware of that and skip this one if you're not interested in hearing about anything political um unfortunately the way that this world is built um we we can't not talk about it and i know right now hearing political stuff might not be what anyone wants so you know if that's that's not what you want to hear right now you can just just skip on ahead or yeah, skip on backwards on to one of our other ones wait a couple nothing. weeks there's gonna be another terrible book after this <laughs> Um, oh wait, but that one. <laughs> yeah, that one's also. Yeah, never. You know what? Skip a month. <laughs> well, no, I would. I would say um, maybe just go to our back catalog. Uh, check yeah. out some stuff from then. All uh, right. Um, the printed summary on this book is thus: Reeling from total economic, political, and moral collapse, the United States, some twenty years from now, is a shadow of its former self. But eighty-five percent of the population doesn't care. They're addicted to flashback, 
a drug that allows its users to re-experience the best moments of their lives. After former detective Nick Bottom's wife died in a car accident, he began going under the flash to be with her. Now an addict, he's lost his job, he's estranged from his teenage son, and he makes his home in an overcrowded space carved out of an abandoned shopping mall. Nick may be a lost soul, but he's still a good cop. So when a top governmental advisor hires him to look into the five-year-old murder of his son, his investigation turns up more than he bargained for, and more than his new boss wants him to know. Soon, Nick becomes the one man who can change the course of a nation turning away from tomorrow to live in the past. A provocative novel set in a future that seems eerily possible, Flashback proves that Dan Simmons is one of the most exciting and versatile writers at work today. All right, that's the jacket summary. We've heard of some of our characters here. At this point, you've got main character Nick Bottom. Yes, that's a Midsummer's Night's Dream reference, as this book lets you know many times. <laughs> yes. Um, you've got Val, his teenage son that lives in a different city from him. Nick lives in Denver. Val lives in Los Angeles with his grandfather, Leonard, who is Nick's father-in-law. So the father of Nick's dead wife, Dara Foxbottom. Oh, I mean, that, if that's not a porn <laughs> name, I don't know what is. It pretty much is. Yeah. I mean, can you feel you can feel the noir dripping off of this, the sci-fi noir feel over here. So get yeah. your synth waves out, everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can actually hear Perturbator in the background <laughs> while you're reading this. Then you've got the uh, Japanese federal advisor that hires Nick to look into the murder of his son. The, that advisor's name is Hiroshi Nakamura, and his son is Kaigo Nakamura. Um, he is accompanied by his daimyo slash lieutenant, uh, Hideki Sato, who is forced to go along with Nick on his investigation of this seven-year-old murder of Kaigo. And it basically leads them off on this, you know, with a list of witnesses like Danny Oz and Delroy Brown. I'm leaving a word out there. Derek Dean and Don Koz Ahmed Nukeyev. And then there's a bunch of other people that get involved in this thing. But that's basically the cast of characters. Yeah, I remember when, when Chris said he just said Delroy Brown and left a word out? That's because Delroy's middle name in this book is the N word. And we yeah. all know what that is. So I'm not going to say it. Yeah, we're not going to be saying <laughs> yeah, the many, many no, slurs no. that. Nope. pop up in this book but you you have to know that they're uh, here yeah um and i know i know it's it's can i no... also say can i just before we move on that's not the only black character with that word in their name oh yeah you're right there's another one at some point <laughs> there's, in the there's book. unrelated they're not like part of some weird family I, I... yeah it's needless um, yeah well, we'll get into that in a bit. But um, I thought because th there is just so much to unpack in this book between the world building, the language, and just the main story, I thought it would be helpful if we gave you a very basic barebone summary of all the things that happen so that you at least have some awareness of what we're talking about because we are going to get in the weeds here. Yep. There's just too much to discuss. Uh, this is a big, big old meaty book. Uh Patrons so, like to send us those big old books. Oh, man, yeah. So thanks, Jay, for sending us this book that was literally quite, quite meaty. Uh, it was a 550-page, like, hardcover, extra big <laughs> size. I don't know what size that is. Uh, bigger than mass market paperback. Um, and it also just has a lot of a lot of uh, things we need to discuss. So um, so this is, this is kind of the, the base summary. All right. In flashback... It's somewhere between the year 
2029 and 2039, I think. Somewhere kind of it's very vague about it honestly yeah so so the book was written in two uh or was pub shit was it published in 2009 or 2011 2011 okay so the book was published in 2011 and it says shit did i fuck that up it says 20 years from now oh shit okay so i'm sorry so somewhere between 2031 and 2039 yeah. That's where we are. They they never give an exact year. They give you some context clues just so you know it's in the 2030s. Um, so right now, in the present time, it's 2020. So this is, we're talking 11 to 18 years in the future. From Something the like that? Uh, okay. So in this future, America is a disjointed place where several states have seceded, including Texas, of course, because motherfucking Texas always got to <laughs> secede. Uh, the government is sort of beholden to this global caliphate. So in this alternate reality, um, I'm guessing that ISIS kind of grew in power and took over. They, they explain that uh, the global caliphate now controls the Middle East, Europe, Canada. Um, racism is at an all-time high after the country was plunged into chaos with the expansion of social welfare programs. So in the book, many times we are told that... Um, uh, Medicare and I social security, social security, um, because they were expanded, the country collapsed. And again, we're just describing the world as it exists in the book. We are not <laughs> going to comment on anything right now. A little later, we will. Um, the country exists in a hyper violent state. So, for example, teachers carry guns to school. Gangs are everywhere. Bandits um, on the highways. You know, it's Literally, not guaranteed yeah. you're going to survive if you travel from one city to another. Yeah, parts of roads are just totally gone and people just fall off them and die all the time. It's, it's you know, it's really bad. Um, Disgrace Detective Noir number 3,456, Nick Bottom, uh, he has abandoned his teenage son Val with his um, father-in-law Leonard. So his, his wife, uh, his dead wife, Dara's father. Uh, Dara died in a car accident with her boss several years prior. Both Nick and his son Val are addicted to flashback, the drug that allows you to relive your memories. Val is actually in a flash gang, and flash gangs are these things where um, a bunch of teenagers band together. They do a horrible, violent crime, and then they take flash so they can continue to relive that crime over and over again and get off on it. Um, or Nick, whatever you're looking to relive, you know, but a lot yeah. of Flash gangs specifically are out to do that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, Nick is hired by Hiroshi Nakamura to solve his son, Kiego's murder from several years prior. Uh, Nick previously worked on this case and could not solve it. Um, and then his wife died and he left the force and kind of lost his shit. Again, like every disgraced detective noir story ever. Sure. Um, so he is then unwillingly paired with Hideki Sato at Nakamura's request. Um, he checks, they like, they go in their investigation, they go and check out the crime scene, which is like this virtual reality version of the crime scene. They and go it's... to the scene, but overlay through like augmented reality or mm-hmm. VR goggles, like yeah. the night of through all these security cam feeds that they had. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, while Nick is like investigating witnesses with Sato about this the Kiego murder Val gets into some shit with his flash gang um and then he and Leonard kind of launch their own escape from LA franchise with some truckers um they pay the leader of another movement to kind of get them out safely eventually 
okay, and these these are spoilers for the end. I don't think anyone really cares. Yeah, we just yada yada um, over most of the book. We here. did, but we're again, we're just trying to give you yeah. some basic construct. So eventually, um, Nick ends up figuring out that his wife Dara was also investigating the Kiego murder at the same time he was because she worked for the district attorney's office. But um, obviously, for confidentiality reasons, she couldn't share what she was working on with her own husband and couldn't tell him that she was also working on the same case he was working on. So that's kind of ridiculous. Uh, and she turns out her and her boss were actually murdered due to their involvement um, in investigating the murder of Kiego. Turns out Kiego was actually killed by Sato, along with Sato's own daughter, who was Kiego's girlfriend, also that Sato could prove that he could be the ultimate shogun of Japan. Hold on. So Nakamura could prove that he was willing to do anything to become the ultimate shogun. Oh, you're right. You're right. Wait. No, wait. Yes, that's definitely... I thought it was Sato. No. Sato is Nakamura's lieutenant. Yeah, but he's his own powerful family guy i thought i thought this was all sato becoming the ultimate no it, it nakamura tries to have like you know basically the whole thing is he, nakamura brings nick in to do this investigation just to like so he can record a video at the end of like his ultimate plan being laid out so he can broadcast it to the world and reveal that he is as ruthless as possible as a shogun could be because he's willing to execute his own son and secondarily has lieutenants loyal enough to murder their own family for him mm. sato in the end as you remember was an undercover investigator for right. fucking texas oh he was actually a texas ranger yes <laughs> um, we're not joking the texas rangers come in as a deus ex machina at the end to um, <laughs> save the day uh and sato is a texas ranger and Texas is like the promised land, by the way. So they seceded from the U.S. And that's like, I don't know. It's like American heaven on earth now, apparently. Right wing American heaven on earth. Yes. So <laughs> at the end, I need to say this at the end. They're like, oh, yeah, you can get, you know, that your grandpa's heart fixed up. If you got the money to pay for it, we do it the good old fashioned way here in Texas. where you have to pay for your fucking yeah. expensive surgeries if you done earned it. Um. They uh, so another important uh, distinction or thing to note is that at the end, Nick finds out through Sato that flashback was actually created by Japan, not by Israel, as is commonly believed or or thought thought to be known, um, and that Japan is also developing Flash Two, which I call Flash Two Fuck You Boogaloo, um, which is the the improve well, a version of Flash that is so immersive. That you have to be put in, like, a, a suspended animation tank. No, no, you don't have to at all. Oh, I thought I thought that was part of the deal. You, you no, know, you don't have to at all. They can, they can definitely sell it, like, to just be done once in a while. But the VAT thing at the end is for people that want to be permanently placed under right, it. Right, right. Sorry, you're right. So there's, so the idea is that it's so powerful that people will want to be in these VAT, these flash VATs. Um, I, I'm coining that TM flash vat, um, do not steal. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and then the very end, the penultimate chapter, uh, ends with the book planting the idea in your mind that Nick was actually in a flash vat the whole time and on flash two. Uh, the very end kind of leaves you to decide. Um, but given that the book is littered with, um, very ham fisted 
references to a Midsummer Night's Dream. It was it was it was all a dream. The end. The end is it was all a dream. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I so I. That makes me kind of try to rethink some of how this is presented. Maybe as I'm probably giving the author too much credit on this. Yes, you I, are. Maybe you could take that thing as like a this is you know what Chris, don't, all, don't uh, no mm. no we got it we we finished okay so that's we're we're gonna yeah we're gonna chill Let's, for a second yeah so that's <laughs> everyone take that in first those are all the main plot points um obviously there's a lot of stuff like Chris said that we yada yada over but we just want you to understand the basic skeleton of the story let's all take a breath let's yeah. um you know let's find your seatbelt click that in. <laughs> Um, get comfortable and, um, yeah. All right. So, <clears throat> Chris, would we yeah. like to start with language and writing? Sure. All right. I, mm, so, so, so this is the language and writing section of our discussion. We're going to have three distinct sections because there's too much shit to talk about today. So first up, um, the choice to italicize some things and not others. I mean, you have your common thoughts are italicized. Journal entries are italicized. Other languages that are being spoken that aren't English are italicized, but also sometimes accents, accented versions of English are also italicized. Yeah, so... um. I, I do I was thinking just from a technical perspective, like if you're gonna choose to italicize a part of your work, I would just rather it be consistent. So for example, if you're going to italicize all of the internal dialogue, that's fine. But having internal dialogue, foreign language, diary entries, and then other random shit italicized, it's just kinda weird. I just wish there was another um method to differentiate those. But the the real the real thing here is that italicizing um the foreign language here it de- it definitely creates this sense of like othering and exoticism i realized that my note said eroticism exoticism <laughs> is what i meant um and especially Thankfully, there's actually not too much eroticism in this yeah, yeah it's pretty light uh, except for the one thing um mm. So, and so you have this, it, it really, again, the italicization of languages that are not English really creates this sense of othering and exoticism, especially when it's paired with such obvious racist words, um, such as the N-word and other words, to, dis- to disparaging words to describe Native folks, um, Japanese folks, and others. It's also written by a white American man. And in reading this, I was thinking, well... The italicized words and the racist, um, the very distinctly racist epithets certainly help define how racialized everything is to these characters. So I was trying to view it as, well, if this is in service to a story that will ultimately have a better message, maybe I just have to sit tight and just think about this as as world building. Um but you know there it, it obviously that's not what happens this is this is there is no at least for us in our opinion there is no greater message here because we don't agree um with the extremely racist sentiments in the book um and the other problem i have the other technical problem i have with the 
italicization is that there isn't always translation or context to help you understand what's said. So I can rarely piece together what the Spanish, Russian, or Japanese in this book even means. Um, and I wanted to suggest that for contrast, there's, um, I, uh, full disclosure, a friend of mine wrote uh, this short story um, that I'll provide a link to in the notes. Um, it's called Outside the KFC by uh, Claudia Ward de Leon. And this is a story that's written in English that uses italics for Spanish very well. As, as an English speaker myself, the context in the story helps you figure out what the words or phrases are, even if, say, you don't know exactly what kind of food something is, reading it, you know it's a food word. Um, also, the, that this piece um, by Ward de Leon was written by a bilingual writer and is ostensibly also about race in America, but it showcases the hardships um, of racism in a real and compassionate way that I feel is compelling and succeeds where, as Jay says, this alt-right circle jerk fails. Um, so again, I'll put the link um, in the comments, but I, I just wanted to provide an example to illustrate my point that that the italicization of foreign languages is necessarily bad. Just the, the way that it's done in this book in this context doesn't work. Um, and Chris, I know you had some some things to say about the technical writing in Japanese. Um, so I'm not a Japanese speaker or, you know, reader or anything like that. But having read enough, you know, manga in my time and getting a vague look at sometimes when um, Japanese is romanized into English lettering instead of kanji or hiragana or katakana or whatever is being written in actual Japanese. Um, when I first saw some of the Japanese sentences written out in this book, the way they were written out was immediately very suspect to me. The thing that set me off the most at one point was, let me see if I could get this sentence up here. See, and this uh, is so interesting to me because I have no familiarity with any Asian languages at all. And I wouldn't have noticed this stuff. So I mean, I have an extremely cursory passing. You oh know. no, but but it's great because you have just that, and even that's enough for you to smell bullshit. So it's just interesting to me, and it's like one of the things I really enjoy about doing the show with you and having another person who, even the, you know, even though we agree on all these really big points in the book, we have very different perspectives. So. Anyway. So the one that set it off for me was in one sentence where he says, Jiber to Chakujikan, which I'm not a Japanese speaker, as you can hear. <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't even sound like real Japanese syllables to me because the, the letter T there appears on its own. And that would never happen in Japanese. I know that for a fact that you would well, never you... just have one consonant hanging out on, on its own like that. Well, and, and for... and. I mean, Chris, you've been to Japan and you know people who are fluent in Japanese. So yeah, I think so that's... I I went to one of my friends who lives in Japan currently. She moved over there a while ago and is you know has read romanizations of Japanese here there as well as like regular Japanese. I showed her these sentences and I was like, "Do you understand what's happening here? Does this strike you as weird as it did?" And she actually had trouble understanding at all what was attempting to be communicated. Period end of story because of how when you break up syllables like this in Japanese another thing that I picked out that she agreed with was um, there's a line where uh, someone says hi junbi ga gadekite bosu nuid shimasu and she and masu are two separate words when I know for a fact that I've, see I've seen shimasu as one suffix to end a word before and if you take she away from something that kind of ruins the context of it depending on what it's connected to 
So mm-hmm. she could vaguely get the idea, and there was one line where she assumed they were saying, are you done with the barbarian, which m- did make sense for that scene, I would say. Mm-hmm. But the way that Dan Simmons was romanizing um, Japanese made no sense to someone who is somewhat fluent in, or pretty fluent in Japanese, I would say, and has yeah. dealt with these things before. And I also, even though I don't speak Russian, I swear to God, something struck me as weird about the Russian too. My only, the only thing, again, I'm trying to give this guy too much credit is maybe it's a future language thing where some things got changed in the last 11 years, which doesn't, it, as much as they changed in the <laughs> Japanese here, it should not have changed that much. Yeah, language language doesn't change that quickly. It certainly changes over time drastically, but it takes much longer than ten, than a decade. Um, and, you know, and the other thing I wanted to know is, you know, maybe this isn't a Dan Simmons problem. Maybe this is a pub editor-publisher problem. Like, maybe he was like, oh, I want it to say this in Japanese, and then whoever they hired to do it at the publishing house just fucked it up. I mean, I don't want to place... Yeah, you know, we be. have we have enough other blame to place on Dan sure. Simmons today. <laughs> so, sure. Um, but it's just I, yeah, indicative of the sort of blasé treatment of a lot of other cultures in this book. Because, boy, is there not really any deep research into any cultures besides, like, surface-level understanding of certain things, which yeah, I we guess also get into. I've, um, I've never read a book where the where the main character, like, all of the characters you're supposed to care about are so deeply racist um it was really everything in this book is in a racial context yeah it was really tough to read at first i couldn't believe that this was such a like a a mass marketed book for kind of everyday reading i was really surprised that this wasn't more of a niche um alt-right conservative thing um it's very strange because this was published by what uh um fuck Hatchet. Uh, hatchet book group Oh, I thought it was I thought it was someone else. But Hatch is I mean Hatch is still a big publisher. So yeah, it it really threw me for a loop. And at first I was like, well, Paris, are you just being too sensitive? You know, maybe they're just really trying to invest you in this world and there's gonna be like a an arc, you know, where the character changes, um, and this is really just world necessary world setting. But it isn't. Again, I mentioned this a little bit earlier. Um and and to to illustrate um just how uh, unabashed it is. I mean, Chris, I don't know that you'd feel comfortable reading an example, but there's there's a few passages where Nick is talking to Sato, and the book really reinforces how Nick perceives Sato's accent. Um, yeah. So and I, I don't know if I can find one off the spot, but one I the definitely... beginning, there's a lot. I definitely remember at least one where Sato is written as speaking perfect English, and I understand, you know, depending on how you want to do accents, you might not want to write in the specific accent you're doing all the time. But every so often, after a a line from Sato, there'll be an italicization, basically, of him mixing an R and an L. One example is he says easily in a sentence, and after he says that, after the quote mark, there's an italicized easery in there, and this is driven home like at the start of the book, especially. It, it happens more often. Towards the end, it stops happening because I guess you're supposed to assume and just continue this accent in your head. Well, no, I think I think it's I think it stops because Nick slowly develops companionship with Sato and more respect for him. True, but he still has racist meltdowns towards the oh, end of the book. Oh, totally, so. totally. There, yeah, there's very little development of his character. But go, sorry, continue. 
Um, and I, I don't really have much more to add besides that one example there, but it it happens very frequently up front to really remind you that Sato has this accent where he messes up some English words in this specific way that is sort of, you know, commonly used as a way to give Japanese characters an accent in works of fiction. And, and in the with the purpose of demeaning them. Yes. I think. Uh, so, again, I'm... This book really made me grapple with, you know, the question of when is, when, if ever, is it acceptable to have these really, really racist sentiments so baked into a book? Um, and it, and this is something we're going to come back to. I think we can hold off on really getting into that right now because that's going to come later when we talk about the world building. Mm-hmm. Uh, for right now, uh, the second point in language and writing, the section I want to talk about is... um. Shakespeare as a shoehorn for intellectual validity. This person's smart because <laughs> they memorized a Shakespeare, Paris. Yeah. That's all you have to do. If you want to be like a really smart guy, walk into any social situation and quote some Shakespeare lines. Everyone knows automatically that you're so smart. Like, let's say you're a trucker and you have a liberal, formerly liberal professor along for the ride. And he might have, like, prejudged you as, oh, he's just a hillbilly trucker type. Just quote some Shakespeare at him, and automatically that person will think, oh, I should have given this person more credit for their education because they can quote A Midsummer Night's Dream. Yeah. So Shakespeare, like, this whole the, A Midsummer Night's Dream is um, a, a a steady undercurrent in this work for, again, for the, the purposes we uh, explained earlier where you kind of – where – you learn at the end that it's possible that it was all a dream. You know, Nick Bottoms, Bottom, his last name is a character from from the play. Um, but yeah, I just think it's it's a really lazy way to try to make your your book and characters in it seem elevated and intellectual, even though, as I'm sure all of you listeners know, Shakespeare is not. <laughs> um, no. Shakespeare he's, was never intended to be material for the enlightened. Yeah, Shakespeare and this this kind of like uh uh disconnect happen has happened because of the evolution of language over a few hundred years actually if you want to talk about the evolution of language. Sure. Um I think yeah, a lot a lot of people just um perceive older versions of English as being uh, maybe more more heightened uh, and enlightened than they are because they just can't understand them. And because I think, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm going a little far with this, but I think that um, Brit- the, the, the British and their accent is often used to, uh, is often equated with things that are fancy and, and enlightened and better. Um, and that's just weird colonialism shit. Uh, but that is deeply ingrained in America, so I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe in some ways, this this is a realistic depiction of what would happen in eleven to fifteen years if the country totally collapsed and no one was able the, to read anymore. But no, uh, there's still <laughs> there's still professors of literature from the former world. It's not that far detached, and even they're quoting Shakespeare at each other. Like that's the top tier of intellectualism. When there's so many other like I. Just it's just a, basic white people yeah, shit. It, yeah, and <laughs> if you want to actually seem smart, like, quote something relevant to the topic that is maybe a, something I haven't heard before, like a new idea, not just a fucking 
a couple lines from a Midsummer Night's Dream, which most people, I'm not saying like, oh, most people know Shakespeare, therefore it's not smart. I'm just saying like someone actually intellectual that has done a lot of literary research or poetic research might be able to dig deeper than Shakespeare. Uh, yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, and again, the whole idea that just because you know of some piece of British literature. You can quote it by heart. Oh, yeah, my God. I just, I just, ugh, that whole idea of like memorization of European lit means that you're intelligent is just such a broken idea. <laughs> and it was um, just unfortunate to see it used again in a piece. Um, yeah, the, la- the last point I have is just for technical writing and story craft. This is actually a, this is actually a good note. Um, yeah. So, while I don't like that a Japanese man's eyes are described as obsidian marbles on one of the first pages, (laughs) there is actually some passable writing happening in this book. Um, For example, um, around page 276, there's there's this um, kind of like a, a... is it a diptych? If not a triptych, if it's if it's two panels, two compar- <laughs> comparing panels, <laughs> it's a biptych actually. A biptych. Yeah. Um. So you have you have this um this comparison happening where on one page, Val is talking about wanting to be a trucker and how he he's having this moment where he's like, wow, I can't believe I really want to be something. Like I'm actually thinking of my life beyond the next few days. And Val's kind of having this revelation that he actually desires something and wants to live. Um, you know, and he, he wants to be a trucker and truckers in this world, like we were saying, you know, with, with highway bandits and the hyperviolence, truckers actually have to be like really crafty and they have to know a lot about geography. And um, it, there's like this whole training program to become a trucker where you have to be an apprentice for a year, et cetera, et cetera. So Val is is thinking about this and then his passage ends and you turn the page and almost immediately Nick's we flipped Nick's perspective and Nick starts is just independently without knowing Val is having this daydream about being a trucker Nick starts thinking in his head about how awful truckers are and how <laughs> he can't stand them and blah 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 so I just thought that that was actually good story craft and it was believable to have this this father and son having these totally disparate ideas um, and their present in the presentation of that was actually good. Um, other things that I thought were good were like the use of radio as exposition. I thought was pretty good. Um, Classic video game shit, really. Yeah, I mean, but but uh, so often we read terrible books and they can't even do that. So I yeah. maybe you know again exactly. I, thought, I was like okay the low the bar was met. Um, as and again as awful and stupid and racist as these characters are. I do actually think that their inner monologues are really realistic. Um, like, I believe how racist and fucked up these people are because the writing seems very real to me. Um, and, and mostly that's with, like, Val and Leonard. I think Nick has a lot of, like, action hero stuff going on, which oh, is not yeah. less believable. But um, even with Nick, like, and the thing we were just talking about where he hyper focuses on the mispronunciation of certain syllables or letters when a Japanese man is talking. I mean, to me, that's, I feel like I'm paying for, um, for my past complaints. I'm getting what I wished for because remember a couple of episodes ago when I was like, you know, I just, this is such a, such a, um, 
what did I say? I said I'm sure you can find the audio and insert it here. Um, I said something oh God, about. Short. I know. I said something about, you know, this is such a lazy, shallow depiction of a villain. Like, I want to be in that villain's mind, and now I'm paying for that <laughs> in this book. Sure. Where I, I actually think that, again, it's it's believable. And, and especially in the, the world in which we now live in 2020, in August of 2020 when we're recording this, um, we're learning every day that people like this exist now. Um, and so reading this right now is, uh, maybe a little more poignant than it would have been when it came out in 2011. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, some... reading, reading this has been, right now, has been c- kind of difficult, uh, to be fair. I, I was having a really hard time with it when I first started reading it. Um, after, like, 150 pages or so, I, I, I got into my, my TBC bad book groove, but... Um, it was it was hard. It was hard to sit there and uh, and read these epithets. And again, it's like I, I God, I just I don't think it's right to say them, so I won't. But I'm sure you can guess what we're talking about. It's just so blatant. Um, and to also uh, to to see all this and and feel like it's actually quite real. It, it's just. I feel like this it's such a shame that some okay writing was wasted on this alt-right doomsday fairy tale that we're presented with. Um, so I, I guess I understand where Jay is coming from, our patron who requested we read this, because he said that he had read other books by Dan Simmons and that they were really good. So clearly this author is capable of um, crafting something of value, but here, I, I don't know if these are ideas he always held or if he became extremely um, conservative and racist <laughs> over time. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a shame because I actually think that the the story craft is all right. And the, the basic mystery is actually fun for like a sci-fi noir thriller thing. Um, yeah, anyway. so I, I had a lot to say about this point myself, actually, because for mm. such a long time as I was reading this book, I had a similar experience to as you had maybe in the start where I thought maybe this is some kind of parable about how this extremely racialized thinking can lead to, you know, destructive impulses and ruin society, yada, yada, yada. And I think maybe because I wanted to give it credit for being a decently well-written or even above average maybe i would say in terms of its mystery craft and how well maybe not that because i wouldn't say above but it was yeah. it was it was fine it was like it was, a, you know yeah. on a, scale, a scale of one to ten it was i don't know a six and a half yeah you know? i mean a, a lot of the big reveals are just some villains smoking a cigar and going like well did you think of this mr bottom like, but it was super entertaining and like a like a like a uh trying to think of oh um if you've seen the new Judge Dredd, sure. That's a great I think comparison of how maybe it's not the most uh intellectual excite like intellectual in- new idea but it was engaging. So, sometimes and... maybe you want a dystopian yeah. cyberpunk run of the mill right. mystery just to, you know, escape right. from the world a little bit which certainly this one didn't do at the, at yeah. the time. And just the way everything in the end comes together lets you know that that's not what was, that point wasn't about, oh, there's going to be some kind of parable about how this kind of thinking leads to dangerous outcomes. 
not at all what he set up at the end. So I I get I, I had fun reading a lot of the Nick chapters yeah. when we didn't have, you know, the extremely racist drizzle of world building mm. dipped all over this donut, essentially. Well, yeah, well, all right. So it was like a perfectly fine donut dipped in dog shit and blood. <laughs> Oh my god, that's a that's a good one, Chris. Um yeah, so so what do we want to do? Do we want to jump to world building or do we want to talk about the main storyline and the characters? Um let I I would say going to world building makes the most okay. sense now because All right. that's Section just two. This is the problem. There's a lot of parts about it that are good and cool, but then the rest of it is just suffused in racialized thinking. Yeah, so for example, something I really liked about the world building was flashback, the drug, the the titular drug. Um I thought I was like this is a this is a really plausible drug to me, like something you take that'll allow you to relive memories. Um to me in 2020 that seems like something that could totally exist, you know, in the near future. Um, and mm, the fact I mean that- not the way that flashback works in here to like guarantee you like memory reentry. No, that's, it's a little, I guess it's a little different, because they do describe it as kind of floating above your memory and also re-feeling the same exact things you felt then. It's kind of, it's a little detached, but to me, it just seems like something that could be real in the next, I don't know, few decades or something. All right. It doesn't seem totally outlandish, because I feel like in so many, um, in a lot of books where there's some fantasy drug, it's just so, it's so hard to comprehend how something like that could exist whereas this i feel like i don't know it probably could it's 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 cheap and also the whole idea that 85 percent of the population is addicted to it makes a ton of sense because the country is so fucked right yeah it's a fantastic storytelling device actually yeah i was like this is this is really cool you know i was like okay i'm actually i'm into this part of it um and when i was first reading it it kind of it starts off like we were saying sort of like a predictable but still fun future noir story that maybe might be cool as like an anime or like i said as um at, made in the style of that new judge dread film if you haven't seen it you should see it it's really good um lena yeah. hetty is the main villain in it if it's that, a little if that bit tips your hand yeah, um it's a little bit ghost in the shell crossed with the turner diaries you oh, know so okay hang on um but then they introduce the main character's estranged son and suddenly I've had to read a graphic rape scene by page 24. Yeah. Mm. And and that's when I actually had to put the book down. And I texted uh, my boyfriend and I was like, hey, I just had to read this. I need to talk to somebody about it real quick. You know, because I didn't want to talk to Chris because Chris didn't have the book yet. So I was like, fuck, I'm so tired. Yeah, I don't want to spoil that for me. Uh, well, you know, it's just we try not to talk about the books before we yeah. sit down to record. So. I try to do my best not to not to do that. So anyway, I was just like, hey, you know, I'm I'm just so I don't know. I, I'm a little burnt out on reading sexual assault in books right now. <laughs> I think we yeah. both are. Um and again, this is another another part where I was like, oh God, I'm totally paying for my request to be inside of a villain's mind, right? Like, this is another Mm -hmm. section where I was like, fuck, this is kind of what I asked for. So I had to sit there and think about it. And and I I did come to the the conclusion that, like I said a few minutes ago, 
this book does do a good job of constructing these character character portraits and this awful dystopian version of America, um, even if I don't agree with it. But 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 uh, again, one step further, when I'm faced with media like this, you know, when we're talking hyper violent, um, sexual assault, uh, racist, you know, awful, kind of almost anti human thinking, I, I always think, who does this serve? And did it need to be written? And that's that's a question I'm going to leave for the end when we talk about if we yeah. can fix it. But um, yeah, th- that that's kind of what I kept coming back to with this book whenever I stopped to think about it. Uh, so again, that's something we're going to come back to later. But I, I urge you to think about those those two questions um, whenever you're confronted with something similar. Uh, you know, and, and other other things about this world. You know, I was like, oh, there's a woman president. And of course, Chris made a note that was like, "Yeah, who we never see." And <laughs> this, and this whole book fails Bechdel test in <laughs> such a massive fashion. Oh yeah, women are women are just pawns in this book. Um, they exist only to be things. Um, the most used fleshed by out, men. yeah. The most fleshed out one is maybe Nick's ex partner. Oh, sexy Lincoln. Yeah, sexy <laughs> President Lincoln. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know what? Well, you know what? Let's just get that out of the way because. This is just a random note, um, but we're basically going to be rapid firing a lot of little tidbits about the world at this point. <laughs> yeah, so pro- possibly one of the worst um, descriptions of of uh, an attractive woman. God, where? I'm sorry, I can't find it in the notes right now. I'm having a hard time finding it. Where did that go? Oh, so possibly one of the weirdest descriptions of a woman of color I've ever read was on page 218 in this book. Um, Chris, I don't know if you can scramble to find that while I explain a little bit. Sure. So there's this idea. So Nick is um, thinking about contacting his old partner, who is this woman. And he's, in his internal dialogue, he's thinking like, well, she isn't what I'd really consider attractive, but she kind of reminds me of President Lincoln, so I want to fuck her. <laughs> you know. And the way, of course, he describes her, I don't know, as, like, mocha or coffee-colored, you know, as as all shitty writers do when they're talking about Here it is. personal color. Although Nick had never once come on to KT Lincoln, he'd always seen her as an attractive woman despite her size, rugged features, and short, wild hair. Nick had once told Dara that he was able to imagine KT being descended from Abraham Lincoln if the pro- former president had made with a beautiful black woman with KT's cafe a lot complexion and chicory bitter personality like president lincoln despite the inevitable rumors by second-rate history writers desperately seeking a new angle on the most written about president in the u.s history kt lincoln preferred women in matters of romance so even right there there was a little bit of like this like oh you liberal writers in the current era writing about abraham lincoln possibly not being straight all the way like that needless shit right there in the and also is that even a thing is there is there like a queer Lincoln contingent like yeah. does that exist? Hell yeah! Really? Hell yeah! Oh, okay. Well, I didn't know that. Somebody oh, for gonna... sure. Chris, wait. Okay, somebody needs to point me in the direction of queer Lincoln lit when I... <laughs> at the end of this episode. Um, Ask the antiques freaks. Yeah, but like, yeah, describing her as having cafe au lait skin and well, that's how you say that. Sh- yes, and sh- chicory. Oh God, it's just. Hey, did you know she's brown? Yeah, we know. Thanks. Thanks. You could have done a better job of describing it. Sorry. I'm just, I just, God, that passage made me laugh so hard. I just, yeah, he's I couldn't. like, you know, 
she's really attractive in a Lincoln-y way, and her name is Lincoln, too, so... Yeah. Mm. Um... Maybe he just, because of the last name, that's who he can't think of anyone. <laughs> I think so. I mean, I don't know. Uh, anyway, glad we got that out of the way. Back to world building. Um, right. So we were talking about, yeah, so so let's let's get a little more in detail about the world building. So we described it as, you know, hyper-violent, um, very divided, like so divided that there's different um, I hate to even say this, but different races run different parts of L.A. Like, there's a whole section of L.A. run by the Reconquista movement, um, which I uh, I think we're told that they are, they're, uh, the leader is Mexican, is that correct? Yeah. Yes. Um, and the leader of the Reconquista is actually friends with Leonard, but Leonard doesn't know he's the leader of the Reconquista until right before the Reconquista is going to try to take L.A. And he's like, eh, we've had some good times playing chess, white guy. You know what? If you give me a ton of money, I'll let you and your kid leave <laughs> before the city is raised to it's the like, ground hey, in a race I, war. I heard your uh, son or your grandson there was perhaps involved oh, in the shit, rape. We didn't even- yeah, we didn't talk about that. Yeah, the, the, the so that graphic rape scene that appears up front is Val's flash gang uh, essentially assaulting a young Mexican woman who is involved. Like, she, they even describe her as um, neurodivergent, let's say. Yeah, think of think of the worst, the most common and shittiest way to say that, and they say that. Um, and so, yeah, so you know, we find... Leonard's friend gets wind of this and he's like, you know, Leonard, um, I if you I don't think Val's that type of kid and Val indeed is not. He does not participate. He just keeps watch, which somehow is painted as less bad. But mm, anyway. he's still turned on by what's going on. But we'll talk about. Yeah, there's a question of Val's queerness that we'll talk about. And sure. And so anyway, this particular Reconquista asks Leonard, hey, do you want to get your you and your grandson out of the city? Now would be a great time to do it. And they do indeed take him up on his offer. Yeah. Um, so so, yeah, it's at the point where there's, again, different groups controlling different areas. And um, this whole thing with the global caliphate is kind of amorphous and I don't totally get it. It's sort of so. The, well, you see. Paris. Well, there's the, the global caliphate, but also Japan. I don't know. Well, you see, because Obama disarmed us of our nuclear weapons, when the caliphate got hold of nuclear weapons and destroyed Israel, the rest of the world's nations just bowed to them unquestioningly because yeah. they were worried about what the caliphate would do. Yeah. I figure if you're detonating a whole country you'd probably get some reciprocal action at some point. But no, it just yeah. seems like everyone gave up because they didn't have enough nukes to counter the the caliphate. It was because, yeah. you see, Obama was lenient on Iran. It literally, this is the reason, is like, Obama was lenient on Iran, Muslims got nukes. Oh no, everything is run by the caliphate. It's pure Fox News talking point. Oh yeah, this whole book, Um, you would think that this whole book was cobbled together from scraps of Fox News talking points on the newsroom floor. Um, like someone just emptied a Fox News waste bin and just started taping shit together. That that's what the whole world. It's building pure is. fear porn about. Yeah. Thanks, Obama. You bankrupted the economy by allowing people to have Medicare and Social Security with a complete misunderstanding of how Social Security is funded. It's like, oh, they yeah. bankrupted all, every all the tax things, all the revenue because we were giving out too much in Social Security. 
when Social Security is funded solely by the payroll tax on Social Security, it is completely separate from all other taxes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. And and this is like a bizarre thing about this book is there's all these... Um, shit, I actually forgot about this note, uh, but it's relevant to world building. But the author actually takes care to note actual historical events, you know, in the book. And I appreciated that, um, even if he used them in a way that I didn't agree with. But then, yeah, he gets things like that wrong. Like basic shit about how our how our um, government is funded. It's the the root is always liberals so soft. They let everything get out of hand and they didn't properly punish or put down people that stood up against America who used to be strong and now are not because thanks Obama. Yeah. I mean, he does actually talk about how the election in two. (laughs) What does he say? Chris, um, I actually have a note. If you could read it, Um, it's page 380. Um, He's, he's like it all. Like we were, about we were like at on the fence in 2008 2012 pushed us over and then i I forget something like that but there's a uh, i made a note that it's on 380 i can't say i do remember julio said leonard the election year of 2008 we were almost there the election year of 2012 we were there and in 2016 we were beyond the tipping point and have never gone back said julio as the truck rounded its lowest gear to reach the summit of the past he's talking about like an extra democratic senator being elected president and boy oh boy were you a little (laughs) bit right in some ways dan it's hilarious how there's like mass unemployment issues and like you know mass gatherings aren't a thing anymore because democrats when Mm. Uh, yeah when in reality <laughs> when in reality uh, you got your mega republican in power and look what happens yeah so it's it's been really interesting to read this book published in 2011 in 2020 <laughs> um, it's so on the nose about certain things that we're living through right now but yeah. it it's it comes from the complete <laughs> it's like nothing about how this happens was correct in this book but he got the things that did happen correct <laughs> Yeah, like, there's a point where he's like, yeah, now most of the country's illiterate. And I was like, I don't know, if we stick with this <laughs> this trajectory in 15 years, yeah, that might be true. There's even, like, lines about, oh, all the global warming people were wrong, and now they're ashamed and embarrassed and rendered into the trash pit of history. Yes, the glo- oh, there is literally a line that explains global warming isn't real because it still snows, which is a common, another, like, basic misunderstanding about climate change that is parroted by the by the extreme right um i mean it's it's just absurd wind turbines are like you know left unused because i don't know because they killed the wind turbines killed so many birds (laughs) or something it was like there was a line about like all the bird corpses at the base of the wind turbines and that that was the point where i was really like okay you okay you motherfucker you're really just pulling every last bit a Fox News talking point about fucking anything. And yeah, and, the, come- and like the crazy thing about the whole like bird deaths due to wind turbines, it, it's just again one of those things that people gravely misunderstand. Like, do wind turbines kill some birds? Yeah. Do a bunch of other things kill way more birds? Yeah. <laughs> like, birds will birds fly into things and die at a much higher like they fly into radio and cell phone towers and buildings at a much higher rate than they fly through wind turbines. So it's just shit it's like that. I mean, there's more every last bit of Fox News juice oh, is squeezed out into this story. 
God, I couldn't. The most it was, rotten apple. The world building, it was so eerie to me how Trumpy this book was before the modern Trump era, right? Well, yeah, it's so because in, Trump isn't the, the, he's just a symptom and as clearly I know, I know. And, and that's what I was saying. I was like, I know, I know that Trump didn't appear from a vacuum, but it's fucking gnarly to consider that all of these idea were, ideas were fed to him by, you know, Fox and other absurd pundits, which culminated in what we have today. Um, you know, because th- this book has, this book even has a weird reverence for Putin. Yeah. Um, it, it has, um, you know. He's a it, tough that, guy that, on a t-shirt. Yeah, that fucking blew my mind. Now I'm wondering, I'm like, I, I, at first I was like, did Trump read this book? And then I was like, LOL, Trump doesn't read this long. <laughs> this is Putin, 500 there's pages. A, there's a really cool idea about, like, GIF t-shirts, animated oh, hollow oh, yeah. t-shirts. Oh, yeah. Sorry, speaking of world building, we this is another point of the world building that's good yeah chris talk about the t-shirts you can buy t-shirts with moving images on them even with ais embedded in them that will speak and respond to you so the leader of val's flash gang is out at the market one day and he buys a putin t-shirt with a real talking putin real talking putin action on the t-shirt just rub his belly. Yeah. No. <laughs> and he'll like, you know, cuss you out and stuff. And he's shirtless. And he's like, a, they even make it a point to say, oh, he's a real strong man on the shirt. Yeah, it's nuts. I mean, I thought, but yeah, so that that blew my mind. The con- This whole like jerking off to Putin thing being in this book. Um, but yeah, I actually thought the idea of the AI shirts was really cool. Like there's I think a, that. There's another one of that's supposed God. to be over the top of Jeffrey Dahmer fucking a skull and then yeah. he turns to ask you hey you want to join in uh. and I, that had me on this road of like imagine the death metal band t-shirts if you had could have oh. moving <laughs> gifts and ais on death metal band shirts oh man they, they would so go bad. way more over the top than the, yeah. some Dahmer stuff um but then so so there's like another good this is like good thing outweighed by really awful thing um so for example when when the kids are at the this open air market buying the t shirts and looking at guns, you learn that nine eleven is now a holiday, but not the way you think. Chris, do you want to describe the nine eleven holiday? Well, you see, day? because the caliphate has taken over most of culture, it is sort of the hegemonic force on earth at this point. Nine eleven day is a holy day of celebration because look what happens when you let the Islam take over everyone. All of a sudden, we're celebrating America's darkest day. So again, it's like all the all these white suburbanite fears. I don't actually. I should take suburbanite out of there. It's all these white male fears of no longer being relevant exploded to eleven and shoved in your faces. Oh no, America! America isn't relevant anymore. What a tragedy! You forgot about um nine eleven day about how many many um. Many Muslims celebrate 9-11 Day by um, blowing themselves up. There's yeah. a lot of suicide bombings on 9-11 Day. Yeah. I mean, there's suicide bombings all over the place, which is why you can't have gatherings anymore in this world. It's not a plague this time. It's so many suicide bombers willing to just strap themselves up and blow a bunch of people up, which, again, is just a bigoted look and a shallow understanding of why people are were doing this in the first place. It's not like the ISIS had an unlimited supply of these. It's not like Al Qaeda had an unlimited supply of these people. You have to take take particularly radicalized and hopeless people to 
to be able to do that. And I suppose that's the case in a world like this. But if the caliphate is the global power, why would those people be hopeless enough to do this? Yeah, I. That's a great question. Um. Yeah, and so and so basically, it's like America's on the verge of being taken over by either the caliphate, Japan, or Mexico. I think that's kind of yeah. We're at that that. Generally, anyone with a big enough army is about to maybe encroach on whatever they can take from the former United States. Right. And those, the Mexican contingent, like the Reconquista, is portrayed as too disorganized to actually get anything done, which is in itself, I don't, God, I yeah. don't even want to. Um, Japan is seen as very strong. And because global- of their Bushido code. Yes, because they have ninjas. It's you like see, literally this is some Steven Seagal fucking shallow white dude understanding again. Yeah, and and I don't really know much about um about Japan or its history, but even I was wondering, you know, is this really how it worked? Is this right? Because I I didn't understand, and I wasn't sure I could trust um the descriptions in the book. Um, there's like a hilariously there's there's this very liberal idea in the book of safe injection sites for flash uh for flash though because there are these places called flash caves where you can you can pay to go and and use flash and have your stuff guarded and i was like am i seeing safe injection sites in a conservative book (laughs) sure but they're still regarded as places degenerates yeah i know i know but i i was just you know i was just noticing some things um there's the Naropa Institute, which is um, where a bunch of rich people use Flash to try to relive their lives to achieve Nirvana, um, which is kind of sold as a, I don't know, it's almost like, um, it's almost Scientology-ish. Sure. Um, in that it's, it's you know, it's uh, revealed in the text to be bullshit, probably costs millions of dollars, etc. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, there's also lines about, like, vandalism being the downfall of society, which, <laughs> you know, in recent times, um, we've had a lot of talks about vandalism recently and how maybe it's not the downfall of society. Yeah. Uh, there's also this they who have destroyed everything, and there's never... You have Leonard bitching about liberals, but there's never... They never really oh. define it. It's, but I, then there are these right-wing radio screeds that kind of sum up a lot of it, starting on page 318. Um, uh, I don't I don't know if you want to read any of it, but I, I think it might be helpful if you feel like it. Sure. Um, While I'm looking at that, can I just say how I hate Leonard as a character so much just because yeah. his every chapter you read by him is a, this liberal professor learned his lesson because he was too soft-thinking and now he's changed his mind because everything went to shit. You see, you darn thinking types. I'm I'm putting on too much of an affect there, but like really, it just feels like Leonard is the put upon liberal professor who had to learn the hard way about what's really right in this world. Yeah, and there's even like at the end, you know, they're like, well, Leonard has this condition, but it's gonna take three years for him to get a transplant, and he'll be dead by from a year from now because you know the commie healthcare that we have, <laughs> it doesn't actually work because you have to wait years to see a doctor, and. But here in Texas, where you pay for your where you pay for your heart surgery, boy, do we really keep the rabble out that way? I mean, I'm not I'm not going to say that, um, you know, a a single payer system won't have wait times, but they obviously are way exaggerated in this. Um, And there are plenty of countries in the world that have single payer, you know, i.e., government health care. 
um, where that is not the case. Um, yeah. Looking at you, Iceland. Mm-hmm. Looking at you, Norway. You know, um, it's... <sighs> Anyway, I have that radio portion here and I want to actually give a preceding paragraph, which almost gave me some of that hope back again about this being some kind of parable about alt-right thinking. Val half dozed to the sing-song revival preacher sounding right-wing polemics being shouted out by the all-night talk jockeys, interrupted only by weird call-in programs where the people calling in were crazier and more right-wing than the radio announcers. No, we weren't always like this, friends. 30 years ago, 25 years ago even, we were still a great nation, a united nation. 50 full states, 50 stars on the flag. We chose decline, my friends. We chose national bankruptcy and the bankruptcy of 47 states to keep the government's entitlement programs going. 73% of the population pays no taxes at all, my friends, but still expects cradle-to-grave health care. Cradle-to-grave guaranteed employment with a minimum wage of $480 an hour, 30-hour work weeks, when anyone chooses to work in this great lost, botched, ruined nation of ours and retirement age at 58 with full Social Security benefits, even though there are now 18 non-working retirees in this country, including the 11 million illegal immigrants who've just received the most recent amnesty and citizenship. Yes, 18 non-working retirees for every working American in this country that's forgotten what hard work really is. The voices droned on. Val half slept. Hang on. Hey, oh God, can you, can you break down each of those points for me? What do you mean break them down? <laughs> oh my God, like each of the, okay, so how much money do I get a month? Um, how much? Did, well, how no, much? the minimum wage was $480 an hour. Now oh, there's right. like new bucks and old bucks in this book where old bucks are worth, it's like Wait. 200 old dollars is worth something like, uh, 250,000 new dollars. Yeah, so 480 new dollars an hour actually isn't as much as it sounds. Yeah. Um, but anyway. And oh my God, 30 hour work weeks and oh, but they lowered social security age. Oh my God. And sure, yeah, you want to have some lines for certain programs to stay solvent, but social security is doing all right right now. And, and all, all this thing about... How dare they, you know, protest for more rights or try to get, you know, better working conditions or something like that? It led to our downfall because people weren't willing to work themselves to the bone enough, which is the major problem with our current setup with everything is people are working at near max productivity for the same number that they were getting 20 years ago. The wages should have gone up much higher by now. Oh, yeah. I mean, right now in America, yeah. Yeah, we're fucked. Um, and also, I, I just think that um, it's really easy for people now to forget about um, labor struggles of the past. You know, when, when we had to fight for children not to be employed, when we had to fight for, you know, 40-hour work weeks, for, for five-day, six-day weeks even, not even five. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's the hard work that was put in for us as a better society. And I, and I mean, I, again, I know that there are nuanced points to all of this that we don't have the time to get into now, um, but <laughs> in general, I think it's really easy for people now to forget all that stuff and to think that wanting more protections and more rights somehow makes you soft when in, in reality, that's not how it works. And I know it's easy to think that way because when I was a teenager, I thought that stuff. I didn't understand that you shouldn't have to kill yourself working to succeed. You know, um, 
because it's a promise that's made to you yeah, in our society, right? If you work hard, you can get far and you can succeed, you can succeed, which there is mild merit. It's not completely untrue, but at the oh, same no, time, no. there are so many confounding factors yeah. that it's not that simple. At it's all. not a linear. It's not a linear thing. No, and, not at and all. Not every, and not everybody starts at the same point on the line graph, right? Like that's the other. Yeah. that's the other thing. And and I think it's um. Anyway, I, I don't mean to get too um, too kind of in detail into the details about yeah, this. But maybe we should move on to further world building. <sighs> world building stuff. Um. Oh right, in this book, the Jews seem to be the good minority. <laughs> yeah. Boy oh boy. Uh, I'm sorry I even say that sentence, but that that sums it up. Um, you know, they talk about the second Holocaust when the, the global caliphate blew up Israel and how another six million Jews died. And um, it definitely seems like they're not super favorable to Jewish people. But then by the end, you find out that like Leonard was Jewish on his like his mom was Jewish. So Leonard's a little Jewish. And by the end, it's like, oh, he's embracing his Judaism or whatever. Um and there's oh man chris we both we both uh harped on this line um that said that the was it was it sorry was it saying that the global caliphate was practicing intolerance yes that, absolutely yeah it said the the global caliphate um was practicing intolerance neither christianity nor judaism had practiced for 600 years fucking what fuck bro? you <laughs> fuck you are you kidding me I can't, I don't really know anything about... I think um, he's stopping at the Crusades or something and assuming that from the Crusades onward, everything was chill with Christianity. No! And again, I don't don't know anything about Judaism, but I certainly don't... I don't know... I I don't know. I don't know anything about it being quite as intolerant mm, as Christianity. I mean, you could look at some Orthodox sects in in their sort of treatment of women, which is one thing to think about here, but... But I think I think Christianity is just kind a of, fucking laughable sentence to yeah. put in here. I mean, even if you are yourself Christian, I'm sure that you can recognize some some really bad things that other people claiming to be Christian have done in the very recent past, mm-hmm. <laughs> like yesterday, mm-hmm. <laughs> not 600 years ago. Uh, I think it's it's really um, it's kind of. Oh, that's a book crime right there. That's a book crime. It's just such a sh- yeah. like I don't just it, just so blatantly it, false. It was so that's everything is so suffused in this way of thought that I kept thinking like it's just so over the top. There has to be some sort of maybe lesson at the end of how this line of thinking ends, but it's totally not that. Um, I don't no, know if you want to get we, into the particular then... ending right now, but. Well, no, we're gonna we're gonna talk about the story and the characters yeah. in, in the, the next section, but um, that's right. So remember, I was saying that um, the U.S. was kind of at a tipping point where it was about to be taken over by someone else. We discover through the story um, that uh, there's a there's a witness that Nick goes to interview, who's this really powerful, um, I don't know, drugs are warlord guy mm-hmm. uh, called uh, Nukaev, and he discovers that there's this big plan going on where Nukayev is going to sell the Southwest out from under both the U.S. and the Reconquista on behalf of the new Shogun to the Global Caliphate. Did you follow that? Yeah. <laughs> so Nukayev is going to is take is basically taking control of the Southwest of the U.S. 
and you know from from under their noses from under the u.s noses and and from the reconquista because they're too disorganized um and he is going to take it on behalf of the new shogun of japan and sell it to the global caliphate you see because they're already used to being in the desert paris so that's yes. how they're going to settle the U.S. and colonize it. Oh, how the turns have tabled. <laughs> I, yeah, I couldn't believe that when he was like, he's like, why the Southwest? Oh, that's right. It's the desert. <laughs> Fuck <laughs> you. Fuck right off. I know. It, it's Again, everything is so shallow in terms of how deep it wants to go on thinking through the motivations of certain cultures. The caliphate itself is literally a barbarous, murderous horde. Oh, they have... Chris, we didn't talk about another part of the world building where... um, Oh, Al Jazeera is is touted as an evil news channel. (laughs) Yeah. Which is also something I remember from... um, Like weekly beheadings? (laughs) Yeah, no, daily. So there's there's a whole channel that Al Jazeera runs. um, And again, Al Jazeera is just a fucking news organization. Um I actually, I think I took particular offense to this because I've been, I've been like reading and I, I, Al Jazeera is like one of um, my news sources. So I have a policy where like, I don't read one type of news or one news organization. I have like CNN, Al Jazeera, Fox to get the crazy angle. Um, Just because, yeah, I think, I think it's, you know, the Washington Post, you have like, you need an assortment. Um, you or, should never you take up... your... You need a, yeah, a, a diet of many sources. Yeah. And I mean, as much as I don't I don't want to give any credence to Fox or, or like Breitbart or anything, I think it is useful to see that stuff so that you don't... So that you understand what the fuck else is going on outside of your little bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I actually... I'm actually, I actually like Al Jazeera, so I was like, oh yeah, of course you're like, oh, the one that like, sounds Daily boring. Beheadings is like yeah. a lot of, it's a big quota there, guys. Oh yeah, how many, yeah, where are they getting all these people to behead? So, and yeah, stones. In the, in so, the book, yeah, beheadings and stones. Night. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Al Jazeera apparently runs continuous beheadings and stonings <laughs> on TV, and it's like a form of entertainment, and Nick even admits that he watches it sometimes. I, yeah, so uh, it's again presented as this barbarous honor killing thing. So remember that little tidbit for later, yeah, y'all. Remember that. Remember the the barbarous the barbarous killings. Um, I'm trying to remember other little things about this society. Oh, can you explain to me why why uh, trains are not defensible? Or or buses aren't what the fuck was that point? Buses aren't a to... thing anymore because you can suicide bomb them really easily, but not trains. <laughs> Except that doesn't make any sense. I guess if you're assuming that trains have an airport style check in now. Well, they were yeah. Sorry, we're talking about uh, in world in service to world building. I remembered something about the transportation that the the uh, book was talking about, and yeah, there's something about how buses are no longer a thing. It's only like personal vehicles and trains and and um, flights very 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 expensive oh yeah flights. yeah flights are only for the ultra rich or government um yeah i just didn't understand why trains were defensible but buses were. i you it's not given to you at all but i have to assume no. that there's some kind of airport style check-in for that which you could also do for buses yeah so that made no <laughs> sense no, to me yeah, there's no um, reason you can't also do it for buses yeah, and like the uh, oh god, there was some other point too about um shit about something that was fuck. 
fuck was it? Something travel related? Now I don't remember. Let me see if it's in my notes. Maybe um, like the the ATVs, like the tanks that they have to travel across of the Southwest U.S. in. Was it something about those things? Mm, no. Shit. I'm sorry. You can cut this because I don't remember what I was going to say. But um, yeah, I'm trying to remember some other some other world building stuff. How about um, the extremely lazy way to name future versions of things? For example, oh. the the expanded version of Medicare is Medicare Two, which I have dubbed <laughs> Medicare. You see, <laughs> Medicare. Much like the the upgrade to Flashback, the drug is just Flashback Two, and then the, perhaps the most creative one was Coke has turned into Ultra Coke. Which is just... I'm like, fine with the, Ultra Coke, honestly. At least there was some effort put into that. It's not just Coke 2, which <laughs> I was half expecting at that point. It's just really laser names for future shit. Oh, uh, what's the next um, video game going to be? Oh, it's Video Games 2. <laughs> I don't know. I actually did think that the way that he... Um, there, there are some exchanges that Val has with his, his gang friends and some of the slang that is created i think is actually fine it's believable to me yeah so that was another point that was good there's a lot of um, chill sweets and cool shit which all right yeah fine yeah uh, that worked for me um it's really just the specific names of the things just being given a two at the end i'm surprised yeah. it wasn't the united states two <laughs> america <laughs> america <laughs> we're americast <laughs> That's what they're trying to make at the end. Yeah. Um, all right. So those are all things about this world. This is the world we're in for this book. Um, now we're going to end with talking about the main storyline and the characters. So I know we gave you a, a brief overview at the beginning. Um, so now we're going to get kind of into the details of of the story Um and the characters. So first, I think we're going to talk about Nick. So Nick Bottom, our, our detective, disgraced detective dad, number, you know, 5,468 or whatever. Um, he was 3,456, Paris, please. Oh, sorry. Get excuse your... me. Um, and, and the thing that I, I didn't understand about this book is it's, it felt like it was trying to make Nick cool and we were supposed to like him. But his ins, like his one-liners are super lame. And he's also a jerk. Like, um, he doesn't, it's, and it's not the kind of, um, disgraced noir detective where he's maybe a little jerky, but has redeeming qualities. Like, or he's Nick only doesn't a, have any redeeming qualities. Like, or he's only an asshole to people who deserve it. The, the, the first witness he interviews, Danny Oz, a poet, mentions that he saw Nick's wife around the party where Kago was murdered. And Nick pulls a gun on him and demands more answers right there when he yeah, wasn't this, necessarily resisting telling him about it. This witness is making me think of my dead wife. I should shoot him yeah. is kind of how that passage read. Um, and, and that was what immediately made me think like, wow, why are, why are we supposed to like this guy? I didn't understand that. I mean, there are other instances of him being a jerk. I mean, you know, the way that he thinks of Sato throughout most of the book until Sato saves his ass. Um... He has a racist just, meltdown at the end where he's like, I don't care who takes over America. If it's those people, those people, or those people, and I'm, they're all slurs that he uses in his in his particular like internal monologue there. 
And even that could have been some kind of moment of realization for him where he realizes, oh, what does it matter who's in control of these states as long as it's safe and I can do what I want? Which in Nick's case is to go into a flash cave and live, you know, with his wife and his memories forever. But it's it's not even wrapped up in that way. It's just he's upset that everything has gone to shit because everyone got too soft. Um, yeah, and he just... Like I said, he has these really lame one-liners, which unfortunately I didn't take note of, but I don't think... Oh, there's one where... I don't know. I can't even remember the context, but uh, I'm the trophy uh, is something that he thinks at one point. He was in a room that looked like it had a bunch of glass cases that could have held trophies, and he was like, oh, I'm the one that's captive. I am the trophy. uh, Just really stupid. Um, But uh, sorry, yeah, I didn't take notes on specific bad um, insults. He, you know, just the way that he talks about things, um, he even, even when he's in the car driving with GPS and he's mad that the navigation system isn't working well, he calls it mildly, uh, (laughs) R-word. Um, and just, what, like, how are you supposed to relate to someone like that? Um, there, there are other things, uh, I'm trying to think of what else about Nick, but yeah, he's, he's really just not a very interesting character he's like every other like he, i said yeah. detective noir guy he does he, oh no my wife died i'm gonna yeah. i'm gonna get real drunk and use this drug and have to quit my job or get fired and and give up on my kid and blah blah it's like every story ever um he does have his redemption arc of getting off the flash which only yeah, happens because he's so happens. busy for nine days yeah, that just kind of happens without any real effort on his part. So there's not even an, like he there's not even a real struggle. Like he's if he's so heavily addicted, he suffers no withdrawals. Yeah, it's like if if there were no yeah, it, which makes you wonder why are so many people addicted to it if if you can just quit it. I mean, obviously, it's effort. in the same way that people can get addicted to pornography, right? Where it's just something that they do that feels good and it kind of takes over their life without them realizing. But at the same time. The the reason it struck me as odd is because he doesn't have much struggle. He wants to go back under the drug many times at the start, and then he just kind of gets too busy and forgets that he's into it. Yeah, he does not. He doesn't even really have his turning point. Isn't even that notable. I can't even tell you what it was. Besides, he just had so much shit to do that he didn't have access to it, and therefore he doesn't need it anymore at the end when he finally becomes a Texas Ranger because he has purpose now. Yeah. So that was uh, that was definitely a misfire, right? Like that could have been something to make Nick a little more compelling, but then it's not. It's just there's he the Nick doesn't have to work for it; it's just given to him, which is a problem we've had with many books. Mm-hmm. Um, another part of Nick's personality that I found really difficult was um, how he thinks of his wife Dara. So he's obsessed with his wife Dara, who is dead, you know, um, and. That's why, of course, that's why he uses Flash. I mean, I think anyone can relate to the idea of losing your spouse in a horrific way and and being um, very, very affected by that. Um, So there's a lot of talk about him going back into his memories with Dara and talking about her a lot in the text. And there's a line where there are maybe one or two lines. There aren't many, but he mentions um, her comparative youth to him. And how she's much younger than him. And it seems like their age gap is perhaps longer than a decade. And I don't know why I got that 
um, idea. I think it's just about a decade or a little over is how yeah. I remember reading it. And um, and I and that made me kind of wonder because Nick's not old. You know, he's what in his forties. Yeah, tops. Um, and she died five or seven years ago. And right, and and they were married before then. So I'm like, fuck. That's actually kind of creepy to think about. <laughs> yeah, because Val um, would have to have been ten or so, which honestly probably means that. Nick was 30, dating a 20-year-old, possibly a 19-year-old. Yeah, it's a little weird, but whatever. I guess I guess whatever. People people are adults. But anyway, but like yeah, um, into it, that it age more... you can make your own decisions. Let's not get, you know, know get that I twisted, know. but I I was just thinking of more his hyperfixation on her comparative youth and what I mean by that is he always calls her kiddo. And then there's one line where he calls her his child bride, and I lost it. I was like, I mean, nope. He's trying to make a joke there and be sarcastic, but the kiddo to me is actually worse. He wasn't making a joke with the child bride thing. He's, he's like ribbing her. He's like, ah, you're my young child bride. No, I don't think so. I don't think he was even talking to her when he said that. I that's how I remember her. Him. I thought that was an inner monologue thing. Oh, well. Mm. For I me, guess... it's actually the kiddo part that rubbed me yeah. worse, I would say, because he yeah. just uses that at her all the time. And I, how do you not feel patronized? I would never want my boyfriend to call me kiddo. Oh, uh, that's so gross. <laughs> so weird. So there's like that weirdness. Again, it's not often in the book, but it happened enough that I was like, I don't like this. Um,. And Chris, you you brought something up earlier that I actually didn't think about. How there's no, there's no women, like in any position of. There's never two women talking to each other. No, ever. And, and like Kate, Katie Lincoln only exists to help Nick. Yeah, he's just She's a just tool ex- for him to get a nice car or a ride out or some info every once in a while. Yeah, and then um, Dara, of course, is a memory now, and all he does is you know think about her as his wife that he liked to have sex with a whole lot. Um, which, you know, that's fine, I guess. Um, but, it, but you know, she, she doesn't, doesn't have, have much, any agency. Yeah. She she was, the, you know, assistant to the DA and also involved in the investigation, but you don't find out much of, like, how she did her own digging or what she did. She just has this info on an old phone of hers that Val still owns, and there's a whole decryption, what's the password thing there. And she just has a bunch of notes about what she found out, so... It's really just another info dump method where you don't get to know Dara and how dogged she was at finding this stuff out. It's just you get a a little unveiling of what she knew towards the end of the book. Yeah, so that was that was disappointing. You know, it's very it's very. um, Yeah, it's all about the all about the white men. Um, So that's can you name any other female characters? Besides the one that got sexually Dara, assaulted? Dara, KT, Lincoln. Well, she didn't have a name. Um, yeah. No, she did. It was Maria something. Oh, she did? Oh, fuck. Yeah. I'm sorry. i sorry about that. I forgot. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh! Kiego's uh, girlfriend. Sure. Don't remember her name, but she also just exists to be murdered, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, yeah, again, the women are not the characters with any depth in this story. Nope. Um... I don't know. Yeah, so that was that was something else. So anyway, so I guess that's kind of my piece on Nick. Um, 
I don't like him. I didn't find him compelling at all. Uh, next, we can talk about Leonard, because I also didn't like him and did not find him compelling at all. Um, Chris, you also really disliked Leonard. I, I already um, talked about that. He's basically just the stand-in for... And then the liberal professor was made in... You know, his point was ruined in front of the class when the Navy SEAL came in and told him about how the economy works. And then everyone stood up and clapped, and the professor ran away crying. That is Leonard's story the whole time. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and Leonard even says at one point... Um, he doesn't say this directly, but he suggests that you're only a true intellectual if you've read something in its original language. Yeah. When he's talking to Julio in the in the the trucker Julio is one of the many truckers that they encounter. Um, and I was like, that's interesting. Um, and also bullshit. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm sorry, I'm supposed to know every language that anything has ever been published in to be a true intellectual. Sure. To be truly educated? Yeah. Like, fuck off. There's something to be said about things getting lost in translation or misconstrued. Oh, I agree. 100%. But, but to, you can't be smart unless you only read things in their original language? Excuse yeah, me? That's, that's That was absurd. I remember that line in particular made me, like, intensified my hatred of Leonard by at least one more burning sun. It's a shallow like, understanding <laughs> of intelligence. No, it, it's bizarre. Um, there's also a passage when he's like, he's... This this is the um, Leonard's passages are often parts where we we start to learn that uh, this world and these characters think that Jews are the that the Jewish people are the acceptable minority um, because Leonard talks about how he he is technically Jewish and there's even a part where he says he felt very much the Jew this night when they were like escaping from L.A. and I just couldn't I, mm. I was like fuck this. It's just such a shitty thing to do, like, to say, oh, well, I'm escaping the city that's being attacked right now, so therefore I'm going to equate myself to maybe some distant ancestors that escaped the Holocaust. It just felt that's really not what, shallow. You know, that's not all there is to Judaism, is, yeah. the, is like, the persecution. Uh, it's just... I don't know if I have much more to say about Leonard, honestly, because I his chapters are such piling on with that whole. And then the, I, I keep saying this over and over because it's really just how I feel about it. And then the liberal professor learned his lesson. Yeah, it's a lot of that. He also likes to think about his ex past ex-wives because he's had four wives at this point and how. Uh, I don't know. It's it's just about how he he's married women of different races and ages and how he's kind of a womanizer. Um, because, see, it's the liberals that don't truly know how to have a proper family. I think at one point there's a, an offhand mention of an open relationship of some kind. That oh, is some, weird. I didn't catch that. I, it's very in passing, I think, which is also looked down upon as sort of, a, you know, invalid way to have a relationship. Well, I'm not going to talk about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, let's just say Chris and I don't agree um, on this one point. Um, but I also don't remember that appearing in the text at all, so there's no point in It's very it. offhand. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, Leonard also sucks, I guess is my point. Um, as, as Chris pointed out, he's just a vehicle to inject more conservative, the validity of conservative points into the text. Mm-hmm. Um, lastly, we can talk about Val, I think. 
Val is the only character that I felt was real and compelling at some points. He has a good amount of substance. And uh, yeah. while I enjoyed the Nick chapters a little bit more for the mystery aspect, Val's characterization is much more interesting and a little detailed, I would say. Yeah, and I just think that Val's... um. The depiction of Val as this troubled and confused teenager who's trying to appear tough um, and growing up in this awful version of America with, you know, his mom dying, his dad abandoning him with his grandfather just because his dad was too fucked up over the death of his mom and was addicted to a drug. I mean, it seemed, like I said, very realistic. I, I was, as the book went on, I actually felt like Val had some potential to be a a compelling character um i and and this is something we disagreed about but since you have the book you should actually go to page 25 mm -hmm. the top of page 25 because i think that's where the scene occurs so um there is a very very there's two light touches or three in the book that talk about val possibly being gay or bisexual I think it, it more edges on on gay. Um, and the, almost at the very beginning, right when we meet Nick, he's like pissing off a bridge with his friend and he sees some um, a motorcycle gang driving below them. And he becomes aroused and notices that his friend is too. And this is right after... And again, the motorcycle gang is full of big burly men. It, the, the text points that out. And this is right after we're told that Val doesn't participate in the rape. Um, so to me, it's telling us that he is wrestling with his sexuality. And then later on, there's another note I about it. I found that, pa that paragraph. If you want me to read this one. Yeah, if, if you if you feel comfortable doing that, yes. The boys avidly watched the bikes recede, the Harleys already narrowing their formation and jostling for position. The huge hairy leader with his red tats injected with real blood, leading an exciting... <laughs> oh I forgot about that one. I forgot about that. Oh, God. <laughs> New real blood tats. Yeah. Leading and accelerating away around the curve, and as the roar of power and fuck you death defiance grew and echoed around them, Val felt himself grow physically excited in a way he hadn't when the others had been banging poor handjob Maria. So, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, I forgot that that's what they call. Oh, mm -hmm. oh. So, in that sentence, I think it's the fuck you death defiance that turns Val on. And it's the masculinity of the bikers that is a part of that too. I'm not 100% sure of whether he's necessarily attracted to them in that way, but it's not out of the realm of possibility as an interpretation, especially since there's plenty of other, there's that other instance I think that you were about to talk about. We disagree here. I think it's very obvious and direct that he is turned on by the men, but that's fine for us to disagree a little bit. Um, and then later on, there's a part where he is with the, they're with the truckers, him and Leonard, and, um, he, you know, uh, I, I talked about this a little bit earlier where Val really wants to be a trucker and he's thinking about it and um, he's asking one of the experienced truckers, like, what you would need to do. And Val immediately is like, oh, it's probably like his internal dialogue is like, monologue is like, oh, they're probably gonna, it's gonna be this, this bullshit where, you know, 
the guy's gonna be gay and want to fuck me or something, blah, blah, blah. He's, like, mad about it. And then uh, the guy he's talking to realizes that that's what he's concerned about. And he's like, oh, no, the guy that you'd be training with, um, he's not gay. Oh, this brings us to another great point in this book. Um, he's like, oh, don't worry. Henry Big Horse, which is the man Val would be training with, Henry Big Horse isn't gay. Oh, no. Mm. He likes he likes young girls and young women. And I was like, oh, why does the only Native American character have to be a pedophile? And why is being a pedophile being better than being gay in this world? <laughs> Paris, you also kind of left out the last name of that character. Henry Big Horse? Henry, Big, there... Henry Big Horse be gay. Oh my god. His <laughs> last forg- name is I- Be Gay. Oh no, Be Gay. Oh wow. <laughs> wow, I totally left that out of my note. Um, that's really funny. <laughs> Which I think is maybe why Val has that thought a little bit too. Oh, but- that's so stupid. <laughs> Isn't it? Isn't oh, it but- consistent with how on the nose some oh. things are in this book? And, of course, the Native American character has to be named Henry Big Horse, right? Mm-hmm. But anyway, why is being a pedophile better than being gay? Can anyone? Because after he says that, everyone's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's fine. He's totally cool to ride with. Uh, but, yeah, so I th- let's get back into Val's character here. Um, he's originally planning to kill Nick. He wants to get money, get money from Nick so he can get his fake ID to become a trucker apprentice and then just shoot Nick dead for having abandoned him for five years. And eventually he does meet up with Nick and he like raises the gun on him. And Nick's like, you got to aim higher kid and take the safety off. Like, you know, grizzled noir dad would. Yeah. And Val can't do it because really he's not a killer on the inside and therefore good. He stood, stood watch for his rape gang friends, but still a heart of gold. Yeah, I mean, he also took part in that. Uh, he also murdered one of his friends. We didn't talk about yeah. that. <laughs> Honestly, that um, thing is minorly important. I mean, it's part yeah. of Val's character in that he shoots dead uh, the leader of his Flash King. They're trying to assassinate an extremely high-ranking government official, a Japanese man that is... Maybe it was Omura, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Omura. It was, it's like, so, like, Japanese officials are high up in the U.S. government because Japan is... They're the ones with the hard currency, is what is said here. I guess oh, that means I, backed I, by a gold standard or something. I don't know oh, what that's I didn't. Oh, ca- I didn't catch that at all. Yeah, okay. no, Japan is the one with the hard currency, and that's why America's army is now essentially mercenaries for Japanese interests. Or really anyone's interest that's willing to give them money, but especially Japan. Oh, that's true. Yeah, our military is just mercenaries that are hired out, which which leaves America defenseless, yeah. which is like another point in yeah. this whole alt-right fairy tale. Anyway, um. Val murders his Flash Gang leader f- friend, quote-unquote, and that weighs heavily on him through most of the book, remembering him shooting his friend in the chest and the Putin t-shirt. Yeah, in the face. Yeah, in the Putin t-shirt <laughs> filling with blood and the Putin on the shirt being like, I guess you're not such a bitch after all. <laughs> Except, except, I don't actually know if that's what any of the of any of it said because it's there was definitely yeah no there's definitely a tsuka in there with like the Putin AI like nodding at him approvingly so I just took that is what that meant. Oh yeah, tsuka bliat is in there. So what is that? I don't know what that means. Fucking bitch. Oh well, 
I'm dumb is the, is the moral of the story. Uh, you know, I actually, I'm too stupid to understand all the foreign languages, so it's my fault. Yeah. I'm not a real intellectual <laughs> exactly, because Paris. I don't know Spanish, Japanese, and Russian, so fuck me. You don't even know fake um, gibberish Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and, and so Val has this kind of troubled, I don't know. I mean, I, I can see how a kid who is not actually bad ends up in a gang and being a bystander while someone gets raped. Sure. Um, it does happen. And again, I don't, I don't, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't, I guess I'm not really sure what else to say, but I, I feel like that is a, a realistic thing. Um, uh, yeah, Valid is probably the best done character in this book, yeah, even though he doesn't really get a proper ending. no. No, and and Val also, yeah, I I feel like if this book was all from Val's perspective, it would be so much better because Val, from what I remember, Val doesn't go on racist tirades. (laughs) He definitely, when they're in the market, he calls the Arab people a a name that I'm not sure if it's, like, necessarily an offensive thing or not, so I'm not going to say it. Yeah, it is, um... It, it yeah it is um but um so he still has that's he, it, say, he does say the slurs he does say the slurs mm, that's true but again if you're a kid growing up in a world exactly like this, yeah so that I, I, is that's like way more believable to me and i think oh god i don't know what are we doing here why are we trying to justify this fucking alt-right doomsday fairy tale fuck this racist piece of shit book i know honestly in the end it comes down to that because i think at this point we can segue into how it ends and why i think that it renders the the whole idea i had at the start about like maybe it's some kind of like you shouldn't think this way it's purely so anyway um in the end, Nick gets taken back to Hiroshi Nakamura to sort of reveal whether he has figured out who killed Keigo. And turns out it was Sato that did it because, as we said in the beginning, Nakamura wants to prove that he's the most ruthless shogun. His son was making a documentary about the origins of Flashback, who might have revealed it was from Japan. So he had to put that down. Um, and he was willing to kill his own son and have his lieutenant kill his beloved daughter because of that. Um, And so here's another thing. Sato is painted as this sort of sad hero in a way because he's the one that eventually, because he's working for Amura and Texas at the same time to, you know, take Nakamura in for his heinous crimes of ruthlessness here. Um, But his killing of his daughter and honor killing, which he says, yes, my daughter knew this was her fate and she had to accept it. This is somehow good and fine, and Sato is like this, you know, tragic figure. But meanwhile, the caliphate honor killings are different because reasons. Because Japan is a legitimate culture, I guess, to Dan yeah, Simmons. Yeah, because, right, because in, in Dan Simmons' mind, yeah, a- Asia is higher They have the, the strong Bushido code. Right. But isn't that like Ugh. what the Sharia law that he's so fucking obsessed about making out to be a fearful thing that's going to take over everything? That's still like suffused with all the same ideas. So why? Well, I don't, I don't under, well, 
I don't know if I would jump to that conclusion because I don't know what Bushido. I don't know that Bushido is steeped in. It's definitely religion. not religion. It's, it, it's yeah. partially, maybe a little bit, but it's it's more secular than Sharia law. Okay, would yeah, be. Sharia, Sharia is strictly theologically based. So, yeah. Um, I, from my understanding, again, I'm not an expert on these matters, but I I don't think that they are directly comparable. But I I I agree with what you're saying. You know, why are why are yeah, like you're elevating. It, it still might is right in the end, right? Yeah, like, I know. That that's what got me about that, particularly about Sato, who I thought, if we're talking about side characters for a second, Sato, he doesn't really have any depth, but he's fine, I guess, as a foil to Nick. Yeah, it's fine. Um, I don't have much fine. more to say about him or yeah, most me, of the Japanese people in this book because they're really just like they're not really ninjas and depth. samurais. Yeah. And Which again, I don't know enough about Japanese culture to really sit here and dissect that. Yeah, but it did feel a little icky to read because it feels. I think that's all anyone ever focuses on with Japan is like the Warring States period, and like it, no one thinks about anything else. In it, it's like I said, it's like that Steven Seagal understanding of Japanese culture. Yeah, um, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. So, what about the proper proper ending where it might have been a dream? Oh, I think it was. A, I think it's all a dream. So we get. A tr- it was too heavy-handed yeah. with the Midsummer Night's Dream references. There's no way that's not the real ending. Yeah, we get a chapter at, towards the end after we hear, find out about these flashback two F2. vats where people are taken. In, you know, and they have like their optic nerves removed and they're permanently put their in their ears cut off and their yeah, eyes sewn shut. Complete sensory literally. deprivation so that they can be permanently under flash two and just fed an IV drip of nutrients for as long as they can have the financial backing to, I suppose. Um, and there's a chapter, like a page or two, where it's like Nick is in a, one of these vats and he can feel the sutures in his eyes. And then the next chapter is him waking up from his quote unquote nightmare. And he's. Now a Texas Ranger for the Republic of Texas because Sato, you know, he was knocked out by Sato who he thought was bringing him to be killed. But turns out Sato was undercover for Omura and Texas and brought Nakamura in. And now Nick gets to be part of the Texas Rangers and he takes a scalpel every morning and cuts himself a little bit to make sure that he can feel pain because there's no way Flash 2 would allow you to feel pain like that every morning. Except I don't. Yeah, why not? <laughs> why not have because then that just confirms your heaven of I'm a Texas Ranger and this is real. Yeah. So it I would mean, just it, make it seem that much more real. Like you're telling me if you were under Flash 2, you would never stub your toe? You would never get a hangnail? Yeah, yeah especially when it was supposed to be um it's a oh God. I I well, right, when Flash 2 is described as like the ultimate um Sorry, I can't. immersion. God, sorry, I, my brain couldn't think of the word immersion. Uh, as it's it's described as the ultimate immersion to relive your your life over again, but right? with a fantasy put, improvement because you can change a, what happens. Yes, exactly. So I agree with you. I, I think I don't know. You're not gonna. I, I feel like it would be a whole lot of red herrings to have all these Midsummer Night Dream references. Excuse me. Only to have it not really be that. Um, but I guess, I mean, I guess that, I don't know, obviously it leaves it up to your yeah. interpretation, which I appreciate. Yeah, that's fine. Like I've said many times before, I like when books give you enough information to go either way and kind of let you choose your own ending. Um, and I, I think you know. that part about the ending is fine. I'm not even going to yeah, quibble with you about that. The issue that I have is the very end after Nick does his daily scalpeling of himself, he has, a, there's a couple last paragraphs where it's like, 
this is how Nick knows that this is real life because real life, you have to endure pain to get better. It's not about instant gratification. It's about hard work getting you ahead. Anything else is just flashback. And, oh, I and forgot so about it's that. just this big parable about how suffering builds character. Pain is good for you. And sure, I can totally get down with the idea of teaching a, a lesson about like instant gratification is not what you want to look for. Being, you know, building skills even or anything that you want to achieve in life takes hard, painful work sometimes. And you have to be able to go through periods of pain to grow and develop. But right. when it's used to justify not paying for health care, because then that takes away <laughs> yeah. the dignity of the work you did to earn the basic health care, fuck off with that. There's, there's some suffering is needless and we don't have to have it that way. Yeah, I, I totally agree with your assessment here. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know that I have that, anything yeah, else to say. That's, I agree. That's <laughs> my whole bow on this whole story is like, if that's the point you're trying to make, even if he's under... So maybe... Oh, he, his perfect alt-right fantasy Flash 2 world is a world where all this shitty pain happens because that's what that line of thinking leads you to. I So uh, who cares if that's like an ironic point or not because it's still a shitty point that's being made that broader societal suffering should happen so society can progress. When... <laughs> I just don't think it has to be that way. Sure, the hard again, yeah. the point hard work is fine and some suffering has to happen in that work to develop, but there is some that is absolutely needless. You shouldn't have yeah. to fucking scrape for the chance to maybe be able to afford your cancer treatments. I agree. Yeah. I know we've talked a lot about healthcare, but yeah, I think that's a big one. Um and just yeah, that you have to that for some reason shelter and food that won't kill you is something that you have to fight tooth and nail for against the rest of the world is insanity to me. <laughs> the hard work can be in other areas like yeah, research exactly. and figuring out how to write a good story, Dan Simmons, which I guess you can kind of <laughs> do somewhat, but without this fucking racist drizzle all over everything. Yeah, like you said, this this uh, donut, it's, it's dipped donut dipped in dog shit and blood. <laughs> All right, Paris. Uh, um, all right, that brings us to can we fix it? Da, 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 can we fix it? We need a we need a can we fix it song. I, like I, 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 sh I should have done that by now, I suppose. Maybe I'll have one for this one. All right. Well, in my book, it, this I, this always bring this is going to bring up that question that we asked at the start. Can you have a completely racist world without it being a shit story or a shit book? And I think the answer is yes, of course, because Man in the High Castle is a fine example of Aww, this. Aw, you took my example. Well, I mean, it's a good example. God damn it. <laughs> There's more examples, but that's the, it, it's both I of our examples. I had that right in my notes before you got to the notes. You True. copied Fair me. enough. Okay, this is mostly Paris's point, let's say. <laughs> Do you have any other examples then, maybe? Um... Shit, that was the only one I wrote down, but I had other ones. Anyway, you have two other ones, so use those. You use your own example. I'm sorry. Well, I had, like, Wolfenstein, which is just a video game series that is honestly about shooting Nazis to death all the time. When you live in an extremely racist world, and then you have The Handmaid's Tale, which isn't necessarily racist all the way. It's a little bit more steeped in sexism, but a big, extremely bigoted world used to tell a story with a good point. I suppose for me, maybe it's I need a distinct condemnation of that line of bigoted thinking for it to be good maybe that's what i need hmm. 
I don't know. Like, uh, what is your take on this? I suppose. Um. Yeah, I, I don't know because because again, I've often said um that I actually do enjoy books where you get into the mind of someone who's terrible. Um, like, I think a, a good example of this is um, American Psycho. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you can find a book enjoyable even if you don't agree with everything that the protagonist believes. Um, Absolutely. But again, it's it's you need to have um, a character with more depth and nuance. So with American Psycho, um, you can, I mean, if, if you've never read the book or watched the film, uh, sorry, but there's a lot of that where you, you can, like the, the consumerism and the, and the need to be really good at your job and be sociable all the time. Like there are things in there that you can see in yourself. Um, whereas with this book, I couldn't identify with even one thing with any of the characters. So I think even if, I mean, like th- think about even the the TV show Dexter, right? Like again, I guess if you haven't seen it, sorry, it's been around for years. Um, but that's a show that follows a serial killer. But we, uh, the audience develops, um, again, I didn't watch the whole thing. I've seen some of it, but uh, the audience develops um compassion and roots for this man killing other people because he kills other serial killers and and he um even though he starts out kind of sociopathic and heartless he learns to love you know so even when you're dealing with someone who is awful there are some parts of them you can identify with and sorry i know i'm just repeating myself i was just trying to give another example but um I'm also trying to think of books books rather than TV shows. I mean, American Psycho is one um, where I didn't necessarily, like, agree with the character, but still You can even it. go straight to good, you know, intricate books like the A Song of Ice and Fire series, which oh, has yeah. plenty like, of shitty characters that... Jamie. You know, Jamie's yeah, a great example. Yeah. I am so invested in Jamie's story, even though I find him disgusting in some ways... As he evolves, I find myself developing more and more sympathy and even empathy sometimes, depending on the situation. And, and that's that's compelling. Do you need, um, and, like... and I think that's why... So, so, I guess to answer your question, no, I don't actually need condemnation of the bigotry within the text for it to be good. But I need to feel connected to the evil. <laughs> and that sounds Touch fucked. Touch the evil, bear. But... You know, I need to feel a something. I need to have things in common with um well with the protagonist. Maybe if your wife died in a car accident in Paris, you'd find Nick more relatable? <laughs> no, I wouldn't. Um I but I do think that is a very difficult work to create. Mm-hmm, like for where sure. where you have where you actually do have a person who is totally totally a piece of shit, maybe in a racist, fucked up, misogynist world, that's still good for someone, to someone who doesn't believe in any of that. That's really hard to do. So, in a way, I feel like 
it it's nigh impossible really yeah uh, but i do think i do think it can be done yes um most of the time i'd agree with you where yeah if if you're going to have a setting like that i would i would love it if the protagonist or if one of the main characters at least was against all of those things and or, that the way that you see it play out is bad for everyone right yeah or like, like <laughs> not not even a condemnation but a comeuppance even yeah yeah exactly um yeah and sorry you had you had another good point before i before i get into my stuff uh, so this is just another like kind of how we can fix it thing and this is maybe personal preference in a way and it kind of makes sense in how everyone in this world thinks but i just have never been a fan where you have all these disparate sorts of cultures really segregated obviously there's probably some mixing of peoples within the different sectors of los angeles and the country and of course there you know certain cultures are isolated for a while by nature of you know japan was an island for so long and therefore there weren't a lot of foreign people coming in there for a while but if i just much prefer fiction where you see the intermingling in one geographic location which would happen especially in a metropolis like this uh, i don't think people would even in a situation like this where it's near apocalyptic you would still have mixed, you know, neighborhoods. I don't think people would enforce race barriers. Well, it's just... I think it's very. I think that's actually very believable because think about redlining in the U.S. and sure, and just self segregation by white folks. Yeah, I'm not saying it's like it's impossible. I'm just saying I yeah. prefer a sci-fi fan. This isn't even like about what I think is good or right to write in a book. It's just what I prefer seeing. Yeah. If I see if as I see it set in like a metropolis or an urban setting or somewhere where a bunch of people are at the same time, I just don't I I prefer it when they're not super segregated. Like this is the nah, this you're area. Right, though. This is the you're this right. area. Yeah, you're you're right though. Fantasy, I think a lot of books have that problem where yeah, everything's very tribal whereas this is the, the dwarf area. Is, this the is real the, world is very different. Yeah. yeah. You can have, like, the area where there's mostly dwarves because that's where they originate. Fine, I'm not saying that's a problem. But if you have these big, sprawling metropolis with a huge population, it's going to be more mixed, I think. Yeah. And that's more um, fun to read, honestly, because then you see the interactions between those cultures better. Yeah, that's true. Um, For me, can we fix it? Um, I think... This is salvageable if you want a grim, kind of basic bitch sci-fi noir. But it would need to be transplanted into a whole new world. <laughs> a new non-racist point of view. Um, no needless slurs to hear. <laughs> They'll disappear. <laughs> oh, God. Um, sorry, I just, we gotta laugh sometimes. Yeah. This, is, this is a tough one. Um... Yeah, so so it just brings so that I mean that's basically that's the issue here. Talked right? about it, that, yeah. We it's just a sort good of mystery, about but it it's got that racism all over it. Just yeah, so it's hard. It's hard for all the reasons we've already discussed. Yeah. So I don't think I need to go into that. But that was my first point. My second point is returning to my two initial questions: Who does this serve, and did it need to be written? To me, this book only serves to plant and cultivate extreme right-wing ideas, many of which are demonstrably false. So I don't think this actually serves anyone. 
and therefore it didn't need to be written. Um, I'm sure there are plenty of other sci-fi noir stories out there set in a racist world that aren't promoting these ideologies. And my example was the man in the high castle. Sorry. Um, no, it's okay. Um, and I'm sure there are others that I'm not thinking of right now, but, and, uh, and to be clear, I'm not advocating for like government censorship. Like, Oh, this book should be banned. Like, I'm not saying that because that's legally, it should be allowed to be written. Right. Yeah. Legally. Yeah. Legally. I think I'm not down with censorship, but, um, uh, but like this book doesn't, it doesn't really serve to do anything, but I think peddle misinformation, which we already have a major problem with right now. And fear. And fear, which again, I think we have a major problem with right of, now. Of like, it, um, it's mostly fear of American whites not being in control. Yeah. And honestly, you know, I sat with this, you know, I, I tried to do a fair amount of thinking about this one and I, and I thought to myself, how would I feel if this were, like, a liberal left-wing jerk-off fantasy? You know, because we're both very left and liberal. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's obvious if, if you've ever listened to this show. Um, and and I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think I would like that either, to no, be honest with I... you. Because the way that this is written is just so heavy-handed and you're, you're told what to think throughout a lot of the book um and it's just it's this severe do it's like a doomsday fairy tale and i wouldn't like this even if it did cater to things that i felt were um were better political opinions or or the right way to feel about um you know humanity in general i i just the way that it is all in there the world building i, I don't i wouldn't like that either <laughs> paris can i ask you something though thinking sure. about it now in the left-wing version of this book, would the apocalyptic aftermath look much different? Nope. <laughs> like, what would be different about it? Nope, looks pretty shitty. It would out just here, be so the crisp. blame, right? It would. Ju- the only yeah. thing that would be different is who gets blamed for it. Yeah, and that's and that's exactly why I wouldn't like it because it's it in. The problem with things that are so, um, that so demonize the other side is that it, it, um, sows further division. And this isn't me saying we shouldn't hold people accountable or call people out for who they are and what they are. Somebody's racist, fuck them. But, like, you do, you don't change people's minds, (laughs) um, this way, I feel like, by saying, oh, look, they're gonna... I don't know. They're going like, to bankrupt the country of, because of your social welfare programs. Yeah, and it's like it's like Thanks, sure, we Obama. Can point out, we can point out why things are bad, but I I do I don't think it's very helpful. Yeah, to to um this perspective isn't helpful for anyone. It's not. <laughs> I is is I guess my point. Um although I don't know. <sighs> although I don't think that a a liberal left wing version of this would have these extreme racist overtones. So, which I think is it would still have one of the more dangerous parts of the yeah. Book. It would still have very segregated areas, but probably enforced by ultra Nazis or something yeah, like that. That's that's true, but it wouldn't be it wouldn't be peddled as positive. Yeah, that's the difference here is Ugh, is that yeah. it, that line of thinking is seen as the correct realistic way to see things. 
yeah. in this book. And, and I think, so I think that even though I wouldn't like the left political version of this, it would probably be less harmful due to it would be the um, less racist. Condemning <laughs> that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. All right. Well, oh, I think that's man. just something to chew on there, right? Yeah. So anyway, I don't actually think that this book existing really serves anyone. Um, so I do not recommend you read this. Unless you unless you really don't understand shitty racist alt-right people and then maybe do read it because then maybe you'll get a handle on kind of how they think. Okay, I guess. But 550 pages and mm. uh, intense racism and rape and a rape scene is, is just probably a lot to do for just that. So. Go read freerepublic.com for five minutes instead. You'll get the same thing. <laughs> yeah, go on, go on conservative Twitter first for a hot second. <laughs> yeah, uh, you'll, it'll, it'll, it'll be, be fine. Better easier. You'll be in and out of there quick. All right. Well, wow. That's it, Paris. Well, Jay, I hope this was worth it. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> um, thank you, Jay, for um for recommending today's book. Um gave us a lot to think about. It was painful to read, but that's why we're here. So, thank you for being a loyal patron. We really appreciate your support. Um in addition to Jay, I'd also like to thank our other patrons. So, thank you to Jay, of course, Dari, Greg, Will, Veronica, D, Lynn, Sinya, Jakub, Bobby Blackcat, Jensina, Mayo Cat, Elliot, Kieran, Martin, and our newest patron, Amy. Uh, thanks a lot for joining this crazy book circus, Amy. We uh we appreciate you being here with us through this. Um, if you also want to help support the show, you can donate one dollar five dollars or ten dollars a month to us on patreon for various rewards you can also subscribe to us or follow us on youtube facebook instagram goodreads um, or the podcast player of your choice you can rate or review us on those same podcast platforms or you can share the show and tell some people about it um, if you want to contact us directly you can send us a message on instagram facebook twitter goodreads or you can send an email to us at terriblebookclub at gmail.com uh, you can also message us through patreon if you are a patron so Many ways, mm-hmm. many ways to talk to us. Um, thank avenues. you for sitting sitting with us through this episode. I know right now, if you're listening to this um, in 2020, this was probably a, a tough one to get through. So thanks for um, yeah. hanging in there with us for this. Uh, do we have any announcements, Chris? I, I don't think so. I don't. I don't think not at this point. We've you know we're almost filled up for our schedule for the rest of the year. There's maybe yeah. a couple more slots, and obviously, some if patrons choose something, we'll drop some of our other slots um, that aren't patron choices for something that patrons have chosen. Um, yeah, we actually our next two, or well, we have something, we have something else, and then the next two after that are two patron recommendations. Oh, are we getting to the Antiques Freaks choice? <laughs> yeah. Oh. We have they picked a good one for us, people. guys. They picked one for us, so you you know there's going to be some shit in there. Yeah, D D picked um, their choice, and then uh, another of our patrons submitted their choice for the year. So we're gonna do um, next one's going to be a kids book. I'll say that much. Mm-hmm. And then um, after that, we'll have two patrons choices episodes back to back, and then just a couple more. And it's already the end of season five. Jesus and episode one hundred. 
episode 100. Yeah, what will we do? I actually don't know. What the yeah, we, we, we have zero plans. We'll just be frank yet. with you right now. There are no plans. Right. We, we've <laughs> tossed around some ideas here and there. We'll try to do something special maybe, but mm, we don't want to go too out of form either. We don't want to just have a no book reading episode and just like, listen to yeah. the classic TBC hits. That time yeah, Chris said that thing. That yeah, time Paris know. did some math. <laughs> Which is all the times. <laughs> hey, I didn't do math this time. That was exciting. Sure. Uh, all right. Well, once again, thank you all for listening. And uh, we'll see you in two weeks. Bye, Paris. Bye, Chris. Bye.